Well, good morning um, to you all. It's a privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Harry Clayson. Some of you might recognize me. I did speak here when I was a student at the, at the Faith Mission Bible College um, a couple of years ago, I think. And I came with a, um, a lovely lady called Jessica, and she sang, and I preached. I'm now married to Jessica now. <laughs> That's why I called her lovely. And, um, and so we're living in Musselburgh, so it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be back with you um, this morning. So um, we're going to turn to God's Word and uh, read our passage for this morning. And it's Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 1. This is the word of God. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his race. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Ending there in verse um, 14. So we'll just have a a brief word of prayer before we um, turn to look at this, this passage. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you preserved it. Thank you that it is perfect, Lord. And thank you that it is for our benefit we have it and we can read it, Lord. I just pray for your help now as I speak from it. I pray that you empower me by your spirit, Father. And I pray that you help each of us here, Lord, um, to hear your word and to obey your word, Father. We just pray for your presence with us. And we'll be sure to give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The genius of English literature, C.S. Lewis, once said of Psalm 19, I take it to be the greatest poem of the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics of the world. But not only is Psalm 19 
great because of its poetic beauty, but also because in the midst of such great poetry, there is great theology. This psalm helps us to see that, that God is a God who has revealed himself to mankind. He hasn't left us guessing as to whether he exists or, or as to how we can know him or what he is like, but he has revealed himself to us. And he has done this in two ways. One is through creation, through the world around us, and the other is through the Bible, the Word of God. And so we could say that God has two books. He has a picture book, which is creation, and he has a written book, which of course is his Word. And it's what is known as general revelation and special revelation. General revelation being through creation, he's revealed himself generally, but then special revelation being through his word, the Bible. He's revealed himself specially through his word. But the thing is, general revelation only shows us that there is a God. It only proves that there is a painter, just as we heard in the children's talk as a painting proves there was a painter, creation only proves that there was a creator. But it doesn't tell us anything about him, who he is, or, or how we can know him. And that's why we need special revelation. That's why we need God's word. And, and a great evidence for the Bible is the fact that without the Bible, we would never know God. Without the Bible, we would never know what he is like, and what we are like, and what he requires of us, and how we can know him. We would know that he exists, but we'll know nothing, nothing more. There is a necessity for the Bible. And, and, and the reason why I start off this sermon this morning with these few thoughts is because the psalm we've just read, Psalm 19, wonderfully brings these two forms of revelation um, together. In verses 1 to 6, King David, who is the author of the psalm, he speaks of creation revealing God. And then in verses 7 to 11, he he speaks of the perfections of God's word. And so we see the two books of God, if you like, being spoken of creation and the Bible. And then upon considering these, these two weighty topics, we then see that King David sees his own unworthiness before such a great and mighty God, and therefore he responds in prayer. And we see that in the final um, few verses. And so this psalm naturally breaks up itself into, into three sections, and these are the, the points for the, the three sections if you, if you take notes. It's the proclamation of God's word, sorry, the proclamation of God's works, not word, works, the perfections of God's word, and the prayer of God's servant. And now, Psalm 19 is very relevant for us today in 21st century Scotland, because it reminds us that there is a God. He has revealed himself, and the response must be made. In a society that's, that's polluted with, with atheism and skepticism at almost every turn, this psalm is almost like a, like a breath of fresh air. And so yeah, I believe it will do us good this morning to really uh, focus on this psalm. And so firstly, the proclamation of God's works. Verse 1 says, The heaven declares the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So here we have a kind of repetition, where both statements, they're sort of saying the same thing. All that we see as we look up, it reveals God. 
By the word heavens, the psalmist isn't just speaking about our atmosphere, but it's about the universe and the stars and the planets. And so he's saying that, that they declare God's power and God's majesty. It's not a weak God who has created us, but one that is all-powerful and one for whom nothing is too hard. They, pro- they proclaim the work of his hands, almost like they're shouting at the top of their voice that I am created by God. And of course, God doesn't have literal hands, just like the, the planets aren't really shouting, but we get the picture. In other words, the psalmist is saying, do you want proof that there's a God? He's saying, just look up. Look up at the skies. Look at the huge beaming sun which sustains life and gives heat and light and helps plants to produce food. The sun which just happens to be in the exact perfect position. Look at the clouds which carry water and then the water just falls from the sky. The water that is necessary for all life. Look at the vastness of the, of the deep blue sky and, 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 and as soon as it turns to night we see the moon and the stars. The psalmist is saying, just look up at the sky. They declare the glory of God, and therefore they declare his existence. But not only do they declare his glory and and existence, we see that this happens continuously. Verse 2, it says, day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they reveal knowledge. Not only do they proclaim God's glory, but they never stop proclaiming God's glory. It's not a one-off event that someone could say, oh, I didn't see that. It's not like a solar eclipse that if you're not there to see it, you miss it. It's something that happens all the time, every day. And they are there to serve their purpose of glorifying God. And not only do they glorify God, not only is it continuously, but the psalmist tells us in verse 4 that they do it everywhere, everywhere on this planet. Verse 4, their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Everywhere on this planet, the glory and the power of God can be seen. The skies prove God's existence. And this proof, it transcends all languages and all cultures. It doesn't matter whether you're in Africa or Europe. The skies declare the glory of God. And it's because of this truth that the Apostle Paul Probably with this psalm in mind, he writes these words in Romans chapter 1. He says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. The Bible teaches that creation is enough evidence for God's existence and therefore enough evidence to condemn lost sinners for rejecting him. It says it there without excuse. No matter where we are on this planet, continuously, the glory and the existence of God is proclaimed. And so then looking back at our passage, we see that, that King David, he continues this point and he, and he turns to the sun. And in verses uh, 4 to 6, we see that he uses the sun to, 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 to prove this. He, he describes it poetically as retreating to a tent at nighttime and then coming forth like a bridegroom from his chamber. And so in Eastern tradition, in the Middle East, the bridegroom would be, would be hidden away until it's, his, until it's his time to come out, and then he would walk in a great um, triumphant or celebratory procession, and everyone would follow him and be rejoicing, and David is saying that's what the sun is like. And he also describes it as an athlete rejoicing um, to run its race in, in verse 5. But the main point is in verse 6, and we see that nothing is deprived of its warmth. 
And again, the, the, the point is made clear that the message of the skies, as one person put it, reaches to every person. The, the skies declare his handiwork and the heavens declare the glory of God. And it's everywhere, all over the earth. And there's a hymn that sums this up perfectly, and it was written by a man called Joseph Addison. And these are the words he wrote. He wrote, The unwearied sun from day to day does his creator's power display and publishes to every land the work of an almighty hand. And then just on, on, on the third verse, he continues, he says, What though no real voice nor sound amid their, amid their radiant orbs be found, in reason's ear they all rejoice and utter forth a glorious voice forever singing as they shine. The hand that made us is divine. And so what does this mean for us as we sit here and we've seen the sky every day of our life? We've seen the sun and the stars and the moon. Well, firstly, it means that if you're here and you're a believer, then you haven't got to convince your, your atheist friends or family members that there is a God. There's, there's enough evidence for that. What we need to tell them is the gospel. Yes, telling them um, different evidences will take away objections and it can help, but really, they, they need the gospel. It's not an intellectual issue, but, but a moral one. And they need to know that, that Jesus died upon the cross for them. And if they put their trust in Jesus, just like you have, then they can have peace with the God that they deep down um, know exists. And the, the, the psalm is also helpful because as, as Christians, you know, we're in a battle and, and doubts can come. And no doubt, um, as we see in Ephesians 6, that a lot of these are from the, the devil, the fiery darts of the enemy. And so whenever doubts come as to whether God exists, all we have to do is look outside. Because on the authority of this psalm, the, the, the skies proclaim his handiwork. And as we look at the creation of God, we just have to remind ourselves that creation demands a creator. And that creator is God. And there's only one way to know him, and that's through Jesus and therefore, as doubts are coming, just think about these things and get up and keep walking, ever looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you're an unbeliever, you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, maybe even you're skeptical as to whether God even exists, well then, this psalm confirms what your, your conscience has been telling you all this time. There is a God. He has created all things. We aren't just a random um, um, accident from a random explosion but it was the will of, of, of a sovereign God. And, and you're not just a bag of chemicals, as it were, just a cosmic accident, but you have value and you have worth and you were created by a loving God. And you can know this God. And of course, that is through the Lord Jesus Christ who died and rose again to save lost sinners. So that's the first section that we see in our psalm. The proclamation of the works of God. So as we come to the, the, the second point, the next section of our psalm, I just want us to take a moment and to think about um, the Scottish National Galleries, which is obviously an art gallery. And in there, there are displayed numerous paintings. And they're displayed in order to show off the artist's talent and ability in art. And the painting, it shows that there is an artist, but that's about as far as it goes. The we need to look at the, at the signature in the corner or the plaque underneath the painting in order to find out more about the artist. 
And, and creation is like a painting. It reveals as a God. But that's as far as it goes. We need more. We need information. We need to know what our creator is like. But God has, he hasn't left his painting anonymous. He has signed it. There is a, a signature very clear. And of course, that signature is his word. He has revealed himself through his word. The Bible. And so the, the, the second section is the perfections of God's word. The perfections of God's word. And we see this in verses 7 through to verse 11. And basically in this section, God's word is being referred to in a number of different ways. So there's a different terms, but they're all referring to the word of God. For example, verse 7 says, the law of the Lord and the statutes of the Lord. In verse 8, it's the precepts of the Lord and the commands of the Lord. But each term is referring to the word of God. But not only does he refer to the word of God, he describes it, King David, in, in a number of different ways. So firstly then, God's word is perfect, refreshing the soul. Here the psalmist is saying that God's word has no errors. There is no imperfections found in the word of God. It is perfect. And this is the testimony of scripture for itself. It is, it is perfect. And the reason why it's perfect is it's because it's the word of the living God. The one who's created all things has given us the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 also sheds lights on this when it says that all scripture is, is God-breathed. It's breathed out by the living God. It's inspired by God. Um, John Murray is very helpful, and I'll just share this quote from him because it really, it really helped me and spoke to me. And he's speaking about the Bible's infallibility, and he says, if we do not accept its verdict, respecting its own character or quality. So the Bible says it's perfect. And if we don't accept what it says about itself, then he says, we have no warrant to accept its verdict on anything else. He says, if its witness respecting itself is not authentic, then by what warrant may we accept its witness on other matters? Basically, the Bible says it's perfect. It's breathed out by God, the very word of God. And therefore, if we don't accept that, then we can't accept anything else the Bible says. It says the law of the Lord is perfect. And therefore, if we are to accept anything in the Bible, we also must accept that as well. So the law of the Lord is perfect, but he continues and he says, refreshing the soul. The word refreshing can also be translated as reviving or, or converting. And the point is that God's word isn't just an information book. It isn't just been, God hasn't just revealed it just to fill our heads with knowledge. But it's alive and it has power and it transforms the soul of the person who reads it. God, by his spirit, he uses his word to, to speak to us to convict us, to convert us, to help us to grow and to mature in our faith. The Bible is no ordinary book, but it is alive, the very word of God. The next thing the psalmist says is that it is trustworthy. Because it is God's word and God cannot lie, therefore everything in it is true. It is truth. The very, the very meaning of truth is what the Bible is. Everything about it is true from Genesis through to Revelation. It's trustworthy. And it goes on, it says, making wise the simple. They teach us about God. 
what he is like, what he has done, what he requires. He teaches about ourselves that we're sinners and we're separated from God. But he teaches that God is love and he sent Jesus to save us and to make us right with himself. And again, the Apostle Paul, he must have known the Psalms considerably because he picks up on this again in his writings to Timothy. And he says, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Scriptures can make us wise to salvation. But the psalmist continues, verse 8, says, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The word right there in that verse 8, it's not speaking necessarily with regards to a right answer or a wrong answer, but, but, but with regards to they are righteous, they are they are holy, they, they are morally pure. And it's because of this that he says that it brings joy to the heart. God's word is a pleasure to read, to hear preached, but also to obey. It isn't a, a chore, but a joy. And it's in obedience to God and his word that we find true freedom in the word of God. It brings joy to the heart. And the next, next description, which is found in the same verse, is that it is radiant giving light to the eyes. It's just constant, just description after description, and David's just building this, this great picture of the Word of God. And now this term, giving light to the eyes, it could either mean with regards to enlightening uh, the soul, if you like, in conversion, opening the eyes to the truth, or again, it could be a parallel to what it says about giving joy to the heart. So it's just repeating what it's already said, that God's Word gives us great joy, and it, it gladdens our eyes, it gives light to our eyes, and puts a smile on our face. And then there's two final descriptions. And we see that it, it is pure, and it endures forever. God's word cannot be broken. It is settled in heaven, and it is everlasting. And then we see that it is firm and righteous. In other words, it is sure and reliable. And now that's just a quick sweep through each of these descriptions but then David goes on and he, and, he, and he expresses the worth of the Bible. And, and he, he says that it's the greatest treasure and it gives the greatest pleasure. The Bible is the greatest treasure and it gives the greatest pleasure. Verse 10 says these words, They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. One of the most valuable things on this earth, as I'm sure we're all aware, is gold. Gold is treasured all over the world. Most of the country's um, um, currencies is all in gold. It's all held in gold. And that's because it is one of the most precious things, one of the most precious metals that we know of. But yet, David here is saying that God's word is more precious than gold, than even pure gold, and lots of it too. God's word is, is far beyond the worth of gold. It's, it's, it's invaluable. There cannot be a price put upon the word of God. It's the most valuable thing in this world. If, if we're to give in the choice as Christians whether we're to have the Bible or a million pounds and never possess a Bible, then we should choose the Bible. The Bible is the most valuable thing. And not only is it the most valuable, but it's the most sweetest thing known to man. Yes, even sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. And if we take these things seriously, then we should do anything to get our hands on a Bible. And once we have one, we should read it every day. And we should live it and put it into practice every day until we reach eternity. And that's because it's for our benefit. 
The Bible has been revealed for our benefit. Verse 11 says, By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Not only has God revealed the scriptures to reveal himself, not only has he done it to honour and glorify himself, but it's for our benefit. It's so that we can know God, so we can have peace with God, so we can know him for ourselves. And it's because of these things that the, the, the thoughts of John Wesley's heart in this quote I'm about to read should be the, the thoughts of our heart. This is what he once wrote at the beginning of a book of his sermons. He says, I have thought I am a creature of a day, passing through life as an arrow through the air. I am a spirit come from God and returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf till a few moments hence I am seen no more. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing, which way to heaven? How to land safe on that happy shore? God himself has descended to teach the way. For this very end, he came from heaven. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. Give me the book of God was the cry of his heart. And of course, it's exactly how Mary Jones felt as at the age of 15, she walked barefoot across the Welsh countryside for 26 miles just so that she could buy a Bible. It's exactly how William Tyndale felt when he vowed to translate the Bible into plain English so that even the ploughboy could understand it and read it, doing so knowing that he would be killed and that his life would be taken from him by being burnt at a stake, just so his people could have the book of God in their mother tongue. And so with these things in our, in our minds, the questions come to us, brothers and sisters, are we reading the Bible? Are we reading the book that refreshes our souls and gives joy to our hearts and gladdens our eyes? Do we take time to read the book of God, to study it, to know why we believe what we believe, to, to see what God has to say to us? God speaks to us through his word. And therefore, we should long to read it. Any moment, any time we have, we, we, we should be in the Word of God, studying it and taking it in. And maybe you're here and you're sceptical about the Bible. You're unsure as to whether it's true. Well, the best thing to do is to read it for yourself. It's like me saying that I've, I've never read a Charles Dickens book, but, it's low, but, they're, but they're not very good. They're, they're, they're rubbish. And yet, I've never read one. The best thing to do is to read the Bible for yourself. Find out why many people have risked their lives throughout the centuries just so that they may have the Bible or so that others may possess it themselves. The reason why the Bible is the most sold book, the most read book, even the most stolen book, the book that has been translated into the most languages all over the world, that has the most ancient manuscripts, the book that has, has changed the world. Read the Bible for yourself. Pick it up and find out. Get one as soon as you can and read it for yourself. The only logical response is to say along with John Wesley, oh, give me that book. Give me the book of God. We've seen the proclamation of God's works, the perfections of God's word. And very uh, briefly, we see the, the, final, the final section, and it's the prayer of God's servant. The prayer 
of God's servant. It's like once King David has considered these two great revelations of God, the creation of God and, and the word of God, he then turns to himself and he sees his own unworthiness and he responds to God in prayer. And he cries out to God for, for two things. He cries out for forgiveness and he cries out for sanctification, to be made more holy and more righteous. He says in verse 12, But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. As you hear, King David is asking God to forgive his, his hidden faults, his hidden sins. In the ESV, it translates it, the word uh, forgive as declare me innocent. And so that the verse is clear. David is seeking forgiveness from God. And he's saying, even anything that I've done that I'm not aware of, Lord, forgive me for my sin. Someone's like saying, you're so holy and righteous and I'm unworthy and, and I need your forgiveness. Because sin is sin whether we're aware of it or not. We're born in sin, we sin every day and we need forgiveness for our sin. But secondly, he also prays for sanctification. In other words, he prays um, that God will make him more righteous, more, more holy. In verse 13, he prays to be kept from willful sin. And he, and he prays to be kept from the, the great transgression, which is uh, most likely um, apostasy from the living God. So he'd be, he's praying to God to, to, to keep him and to not to let him go. And in verse 14, he prays that his words and, and his thoughts would be pleasing to God. And so that's just very quickly the, the, the prayer of King David um, in, in the last few verses. And so this should be the desire of everyone who has been made alive in Christ. We should want to grow in holiness. Or another way to put it, we should want to be more like Jesus. Not only do we come to God for forgiveness, but we come also to be made more and more like Jesus. The Bible says that when we see him face to face, we will be like him. And therefore, as Christians, we should desire to be made more and more like Jesus every day. This was a response of David, and it should be our response too. But there is also a response that must be made by people who, who, haven't, who haven't been made right with God yet. And as you're confronted with God, the God who has revealed himself in creation, the God who has revealed himself through his word, the Bible, then you should consider your sin. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says our sin separates us from God. But it also has good news. That's what the word gospel means. That if we believe in Jesus, if we put our trust in him, the one who died to save lost sinners, then it says that we shall be forgiven, we shall have peace with God, and we shall be made right with God. And this forgiveness is found in Jesus alone. You should pray along with King David, forgive my hidden faults, and in doing so, put your wholehearted trust in the Lord Jesus Christ in his work upon the cross, what he has done for lost sinners. And so in conclusion, Psalm 19, we see the two books of God, we see the proclamation of God's works. We are without excuse if we reject him because the heavens declare the glory of God. We have seen the perfections of God's word. We should take it up and read it and, and, and base our life upon the word of God. And we've seen the prayer of God's servants. We should firstly pray for forgiveness, pray for God to save us, to make us right with himself through Jesus. And then, as Christians, we should pray for sanctification every day, pray that God will make us more and more like Christ and less and less like ourselves. A.W. Pink once wrote these words. He says, God's design in all that he has revealed to us is to the purifying of our affections and the transformation of our characters. 
So as we consider God's works and God's word, let us seek to be more and more like Jesus. Let us live to that end, read the Bible to that end, and let us pray to that end. And if we're here and we don't know God, then turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust in him who died to save sinners. And the Bible says that you shall be made right with the creator of all the earth. I'll just have a brief word of prayer and hand it back to Jim. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for all that we find within it, Lord. And thank you that it's perfect and pure and a light to our feet, Lord. It gladdens our, our, our hearts and, and, and it rejoices our, our, our souls, Lord. And I just pray for each of us here who know you for ourselves. I pray that you give us a stronger love and desire for your word. Give us a, a greater love and desire, Lord, for your creation. Help us to see the, the beauty of it, Lord. And give us a greater desire and love to be more and more like Jesus, Father. And I do pray, if there's anyone here who, who don't know you, Lord, who's separated from you in their sin, I do pray you work in their lives, that you draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you save their souls. In Jesus' name, amen.